Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, and let me start reading at verse 14, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, at verse 14 to the end of the chapter. Here we go. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, this is the fourth of four sermons that we have um, used to look at this pivotal chapter in the Bible, uh, Genesis chapter 3. We, um, we come now to the last section. The last section of um, Genesis 3, where you find that grace begins to, it begins to peek through the clouds. Not once, but twice. And I'll show you that as we go. But the, the, the first thing that you notice about this, this section of Genesis 3, the first thing that you notice is who is in charge. God asks the serpent no questions. Because the serpent has no right to speak before God. He can only listen. That is, Satan can only listen and take orders. And that for us is good news. Because one of the early things that we're taught by by just that observation is that you and I, ladies and gentlemen, are not at the mercy of the evil one. Now, as for mercy, Adam and Eve get that. Satan does not. And in verses 14 and 15, you get God's statement to Satan about the curse placed on him. But part of that curse 
is a very significant statement. Verse 15 is a very significant statement. And, and let me show you why. Because in it, guys, gospel sunshine begins to, begins to appear for the first time. God rebukes all of them. Satan, Adam, and Eve. But even in the midst of the rebuke, one begins to see the shadow of a cross. I want to show it to you. Guys, uh, in verse 15, the first word in the Hebrew. Now, I think you know that the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. In the Hebrew Bible, the first word of verse 15 is the word enmity. Enmity. Now, you know what that word means. It means that we're enemies. We're, we're, we're at war with each other. It's enmity. I, I guess the, the first lesson that Adam has to learn is who his friends are and who his enemies are. He thought that Satan was a friend. But Satan lied. He just pretended to be his friend. Guys, I've quoted this before, but there's a statement in Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, where, maybe you've heard of Pilgrim's Progress, where a Christian runs into Apollyon in the Valley of Humiliation. Apollyon is a figure for the devil. And Apollyon says to Christian, he says, I hate your prince, I hate his word, and I hate his people. That would be you, ladies and gentlemen. He just pretends to be your friend. He really despises you. And our first need is to find out who our real enemy is. Adam has got to have a a, a rightly directed enmity. And and for him to do that, it's going to take a new heart. That is a change. That new heart thing is a change so radical that the New Testament calls it a rebirth. So... What you see initially here is God taking the initiative. He's in charge. He's taking the initiative. And by the way, I I have really saved this for for this fourth sermon. Guys, (laughs) um, I want you to notice in this chapter, who seeks whom? It's not Adam and Eve seeking God, ladies and gentlemen. They run and hide in the bushes. It is God who is the seeker. It is God who initiates. And I further ask you, when did that change? It hasn't changed, ladies and gentlemen. He's still the seeker. In all of this language and in all of this controversy and all of this dialogue in the Christian church about being seeker-driven and (laughs) seeker-sensitive and all that business about church services, Guys, the New Testament in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, if you'd like to check me, says this. There are none who seeketh after God. There's only one seeker. It's God who's the seeker, ladies and gentlemen. He sought. And he found, just like you find here, 
The other thing that he says in verse 15 is that I will put, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and between them. Guys, if, if God does not act in mercy and grace, there is no hope for us. You know, really, had God destroyed them on the spot, no one could have complained. Because that's what they've earned. The marvel about this story, ladies and gentlemen, is that he doesn't abandon them. In fact, instead of abandoning them, he says this to Satan, but he says it about Eve. It's in verse 15, guys, and you need to look at it. He says, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who's that? Well, it's Eve's offspring. Um, that one of Eve's offspring is going to deliver a lethal blow to Satan, while at the same time, he is going to receive a lesser blow from Satan. That, ladies and gentlemen, that event is played out 4,000 years later on the cross of Jesus Christ. This this thing that is mentioned in Genesis 3.15 comes to pass at Calvary. That, That offspring of Eve's That's Christ. Well, well, Jimmy, how do you know that? Well, because Paul tells us that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Hey, guys, did did you see the movie Mel Gibson's blockbuster, The Passion of the Christ? Did you see that? It came out in February of 2004. Did you see that? I mean, it, it, it went around the globe. It was hugely successful. And you may remember the opening scene. I showed it up here one time, but uh, the opening scene is a scene of Jesus in Gethsemane. And he's praying, he's kneeling, and he's praying, and, and while he prays, a snake begins to crawl over, I think it's his leg, a snake begins to crawl over Jesus' leg. And the next thing that you see in a piece of cinemagraphic genius is this shocking Jesus is standing and slams down his foot on the snake's head. Guys, that imagery comes from right here. This is called the Proto-Uangelion. It's a Latin term that simply means the first gospel. And I want you to note that it comes right on the heels Almost immediately, upon the entrance of sin, sin enters, and God responds. He responds by saying, somewhat cryptically, Satan, there's going to come a day that one of her offspring is going to crush your head. And you're going to take a shot at him. But it's not going to be a lethal blow, but he is going to destroy you. There, ladies and gentlemen, is the first hint 
of what's coming. Of what he's going to do to remedy this thing that now that sin has entered. We've we got to keep moving. But he then turns to Eve. It's Eve's turn, and it's in verse 16. We're told in, in verse 16, he says to Eve, to the woman he said, Okay, here's your curse. There's two parts to it. First of all, pain and childbearing. You've heard that before. Ladies, all of that pain that you've endured because you had children, you could have avoided it. It, it's, it was unnecessary. But it's part, it's a reminder of the curse of the entrance of sin. It's this other part. I mean, by the way, women don't complain about that. They don't complain about the pain in childbirth. They love, you know, right after the baby's born, you know, they forget it. But it's this other part that really drives women crazy. Look at it, ladies and gentlemen. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall rule over you. Oh, there's some words in there that women don't like. Um, now, guys, let, let's, let, let, me, let me tell you what. This is a part of the curse. But, but let me, let me, let me make it, I hope, beautiful for you. Gang, first of all, if you've ever read this and think that it was referring to sexual desire, you missed it. This is not about sexual desire that you shall desire your husband. Very frankly, uh, in all candor, I shouldn't even say it. Uh, I don't even need to. Res- it's usually the male who is the sexual aggressor, is it not? And if you happen to marry otherwise, you lucky devil. Uh, but uh, this is not about sexual desire. And let me show you, guys. The same words that caused problems for you in 16, 316 are also found on the same page in 4, 7. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. It says, um, God is speaking to Cain, and God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, here it is, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Do you see that? Desire and rule, the same two words that you see in 3.16. Desire and rule. The only other place that you find those two words in the same sentence. One chapter over. Now guys, what it means in 4-7 is what it means in 3-16. Let me tell you what it means in 4-7. God says to Cain, Cain, you're in trouble, Bubba. There's a great danger. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't you love that that picture of sin being this predatory animal that's lurking in the shadows about to leap upon Cain? That's what sin is, ladies and gentlemen. And God says, sin is crushing at your door. But but, but Cain, it wants to devour you. It wants to rule over you, Cain. But you must not let it. Now, ladies and gentlemen... What it means in 4.7 is exactly what it means in 3.16. Part of the curse, ladies and gentlemen, is that women have the desire for the role that we are to play, brothers. And for the good of your marriage, don't let that happen. 
I'll say this to your brothers. There is a right way and a wrong way to pull that off. The right way you pull it off is by loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And once she is loved, she will find following your initiatory rule her delight. I said that last night in a wedding that I did. Ladies and gentlemen, never have I ever met one woman anywhere who has ever complained about following the lead of a man who adored her. Do her a favor. Do you a favor. And do us a favor. Don't let that happen. Genesis 3.16. Now, guys, thirdly, he comes to Adam. Adam, um... Abandoned his role of leadership in the home? Why was it that it was Eve that was in conversation with Satan? Why didn't Adam step in front of her and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not right. But no, no. Like other weak men, he's back in the shadows while his wife is carrying on the conversation. But I want you to notice, guys, I want you to look at verse 17. Look at it, brothers. This is God's statement of curse upon men, and he says... Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Now, guys, I listen to the voice of my wife all the time. She's my greatest counselor. But the whole idea behind this text is that you have, you have abdicated a responsibility that was yours. And she has usurped a responsibility that was not hers. And because you listened to the voice of your wife, work is going to be laborious for the rest of your days. Look at what it says. Until you die. Until you return to the dust. Work, ladies and gentlemen, is not the curse. Man, um, man is going to work and it can be a delight, but it's going to be tough. And all the complexities of work, that, that, that occupational struggle is going to be in existence for how long? Forever. Until we die. As soon as man disobeyed, he became mortal. The power of death is unleashed and Death was not originally intended to be man's end, but, but now it is the tragic consequence of disobedience. Now, there's one other thing that, that I want you to see. Those are, the, those are the curses upon Satan, upon Eve, and upon Adam. But we come to verse 21, and verse 21 is the center of a new section, the last section in Genesis 3. And we're told this, and the Lord God made for Adam... And for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. Hey guys, let's, let's review. You remember after they sinned, you remember they, they, they were aware of their shame and their guilt. And so they tried to cover themselves and they used, do you remember? Fig leaves. Fig leaves are pretty big. 
Put a few of them together and you might, you know, we might have something. They tried fig leaves and that attempt failed. We are now told that they are clothed by animal skins. Now just think with me for a second. If you're clothed by animal skins, uh, how are you going to get the animal skin? Do you think any animal is going to voluntarily give up its skin? No, that doesn't happen. To get the skin off of the animal, that means you're going to have to kill some animals. Mm. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that blood is going to have to be shed to get those skins off of those now dead animals. Guys, God does not come to Adam and Eve and say, now listen, take those stupid fig leaves off and just say you're sorry and, and, and we'll all live happily ever after. No. No. There's only one way to restore this relationship. And it's only going to be restored when blood has been shed. If your sin is ever to be covered, somebody's going to have to spill some blood. Proper clothing will come only from God. He covers them with something more durable. But it comes at the price of an animal who sheds its blood. Now, guys, if you know anything about the New Testament, your minds are running. I hope that you haven't fallen asleep yet. But if you don't know much about the New Testament, let me help you. Early on in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus from afar coming down the road. And John the Baptist says this. He says, Behold, look, y'all, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That one... That one in the, in the role and the function of the Lamb of God is going to do something that will take away the sin of the world. The blood shed will come out of Him. The garments needed will get those from Him. The, the remedy for my sin he'll do it you know this chapter closes ladies and gentlemen and it closes by Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden they are sent east of Eden John Steinbeck wrote a novel back in 52 called East of Eden. And there was a movie with James Dean made of the same name. There's no way back to that cross, ladies and gentlemen. It's barred. There's only one way forward. And that is to a cross. Adam leaves the garden. But he leaves that garden with hope. 
that my sin will be covered. My sin will be covered with something that God will do on my behalf. Four thousand years later, the Lamb of God spilled every drop of his blood. And from him was taken garments that are wrapped around sinners like me. You know, we sing a song. My Lord has garments so wondrous fine, with myrrh their texture fills. Yeah. Yeah, the texture of his garments are filled with myrrh. It's a burial spice. Because to provide garments for somebody as wicked as I am, meant that he had to die in my place. Hey guys, before we close, I want to do just a couple of other things that come out of Genesis 3 because they're important, at least they're important to me and I, I hope they're meaningful and applicable to you. But just, just one quick reflection out of Genesis 3. Guys, for you who are here this morning who are strictly material Darwinists, If you don't know what that is, I'll use another word. If you're an evolutionist, tell me, where do morals come from? Where does meaning of life come from? How about about motives for right and wrong? Where do they come from? Because I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're an evolutionist, you don't have an answer to those questions. And I do. The answers are found in Genesis chapter 3. But you say, oh, I've got an answer for that, Dr. Young. Well, I mean, evil, evil is just a, it's just a, it's just a cultural construct. It, the, 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 the man was born good, and the culture ruined him. And I say to you, Don't embarrass yourself with such idiocy. Ladies and gentlemen, what is a culture? What is a culture comprised of? People. Folks, Genesis 3 does not explain sin on a horizontal on horizontal terms like the culture ruined me Genesis 3 explains sin and evil in vertical terms the person most offended in Genesis 3 is God So, ladies and gentlemen, what we need most is to be reconciled to Him. 
We need someone to save us. Because our ultimate problem is our alienation from God. Now, now, my friends, you can begin to understand the plot line of the rest of this book. The question before the house is, who will fix me? And how will he do it? I told you this morning. I've told you twice. And they're both found in the same chapter of Scripture. Jesus Christ takes the punishment that I deserve. And Jesus Christ provides the righteousness that I should have had but didn't. Guys, I don't know about the rest of you, but it is compelling for me that once sin shows up in this story, once sin had done its dastardly deed by ruining us, In the same chapter of Scripture, not once, but twice, we are given information about what God ultimately will do to fix us. It's going to require the defeat of the evil one when his head is smushed. And it's going to require some garments that we can put on that will cover our sin. That's God, that God is going to provide through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Sin enters. And then it's almost as if God the Holy Spirit said, it is urgent that everyone know there is a remedy for it. So let me put it in that same chapter. Let me put it in there, not once. Let me put it in there twice. Because the The need is urgent. They've got to see this. They've got to embrace this. Guys, our greatest need is not for the raising of the debt ceiling. Your greatest need and mine
is to be reconciled with God. And that is available through Jesus Christ and Him only. Our Father, I do pray that you will make that clear. If I have somehow muddied the waters, I pray that you'll forgive me for my for my lack of ability and pray that you will make clear yourself the great beauty that is found right here in this one chapter. The beauty of what you're what you promised to do what you did and what you've made available to people like me and everyone else in this room. And I pray, Father, that those who have not yet embraced this Savior will find him altogether lovely in that he has accomplished the great work of redemption for sinners. We ask this, of course, in Jesus' name.